Hello, welcome to The Briefing, where you get the latest headlines to your headphones. I'm Tom Tilley. It is Wednesday, the 2nd of September, and as the bushfire season approaches, you can smell hazard reduction burns happening in many parts of Australia. And it raises the question, are we any better prepared this year than we were last year? We'll brief you on that in just a moment. First, I'm joined by Jamila Rizvi for the big stories of the day. If you get your news on Facebook, that could be about to end. Facebook and Instagram have threatened to block Australian news outlets and Australian users from posting news articles on both their platforms. Yeah, it's a response to proposed laws designed to make Facebook and Google share their profits with Australian media companies who actually create the news content shared on those big platforms. We're committed to these reforms. We won't be bullied no matter how big the international company is, no matter how how powerful they are, no matter how valuable they are. Yeah, that's the treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, standing up to Facebook. The competition watchdog, the ACCC, has recommended this world first move after an 18-month inquiry revealed just how much ad revenue the tech giants are earning. The ACCC are having nothing with Facebook's threat, calling it ill-timed and misconceived. And Treasurer Joss Frydenberg has also said the government won't be backing down. The services provided by Facebook and Google are great. People love them and we want those to continue here in Australia. But we also believe our world-leading reforms based on the work of the ACCC is the future for a more sustainable media environment. Yeah, so Jamila, this is a really interesting stoush that's happening here in public. Um, Analysts are saying that Facebook and Google are making these big threats because if these laws come in here in Australia, other countries will replicate them around the world because governments are trying to work out how to get more money out of these tech companies in so many countries because so many traditional media outlets are getting smashed at the moment. Tom, this feels like a fight that's just going to spiral and spiral. Where's it going to end? Yeah, what we're seeing now are essentially negotiating tactics heading towards new legislation that's expected to be passed in December. So over the next few months, I imagine we're going to see some blows from both sides. Um, But ultimately, by the end of the year, we'll, we'll have some sort of sense of where this negotiation is going to land. And it's official. JobKeeper payments will be reduced at the end of the month thanks to an amendment that passed Parliament yesterday. From September 28, JobKeeper will be split into two tiers. $1,200 a fortnight for full-time workers and $750 for part-time or long-term casuals. And that's down from $1,500 a fortnight now. Yeah, it's going to be tough for a lot of people. Um, In January, the rate for full-time workers will drop again, another $200 to $1,000 a fortnight. And part-time and long-term casual workers will fall to $650, with the whole system intended to wrap up by March. As for JobSeeker, that's the higher payment that's replaced Newstart since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, that's going to go down too, moving from $1,100 a fortnight to just over $800 at the end of this month. And that new rate will run till the end of December. Yeah, and there have been calls, um, and these calls go way back before the pandemic, for new start to actually be increased permanently. Uh, but at this stage, the government hasn't made a decision. Most people expect that it will go up by some amount. We just don't know how much yet. It will be very hard to take it right back to where it was. And in Victoria, Dan Andrews has got the green light from Parliament to extend the state of emergency, but only for six months and not the full 12 months he initially called for. The state of emergency gives the state government power to issue public health orders like mandatory 
quarantine, mask wearing in public and implement lockdowns. So basically everything that defines our life down here in Victoria at the moment. And the AFL Grand Final will be played outside Victoria for the first time ever. AFL boss Gil McLaughlin confirmed that the Grand Final will have a new home in 2020 and the details will be revealed later today. A recommendation from the Commission that's been, to the Commission has been accepted, but the stuff to work through clearly then today with the um, Victorian Government and uh, the relevant bodies and you know, hopefully we get there and then uh, we're looking forward to completing it tonight or in the morning and making an announcement tomorrow. Sports journos are speculating that the decider will be a nighttime affair held at the Gabba on October 24. And Richmond coach Damien Hardwick says he's on Team Queensland. They've certainly got my vote. And once again, I think it's incredible for the growth of the game. You know, to sit there and look at the state and the footy frenzy we're in at the moment, I think it should, um, look, from my personal own point of view, this is taking Richmond out of it. I'd be more than happy for the grand final to be played here. There you go. There's a positive take on the whole thing. What's it like as a Melbourneian to see the grand final leave your city for the first time? Tom, I've got to say, it feels like we're being kicked when we're already down. Like, I know there's not an alternative. I know they cannot hold the final here in Victoria after what's happened and what continues to happen. It's just too dangerous. But it actually makes me feel really miserable. There's a real spirit to Melbourne around grand final time and... We don't get that this year. Yeah, the the city's taken a hit on its pride on, on so many fronts, hasn't it? Obviously, cultural life, which is what the city's known for, has been dealt a real blow. And, and part of that cultural life really is around sport. Yeah, well, Jamila, we hope things start looking up for you guys in Melbourne. I'm looking forward to that roadmap on Sunday that Dan Andrews will announce. We'll speak to you tomorrow on The Briefing. Up next, Annika Smethurst jumps in to talk bushfires. Now, Annika, I managed to get outside of the city last week, as you know, and driving along some country roads, the Hume Highway, driving around Canberra, I smelled bushfire smoke again. And um, yeah, it was a really strong sensory experience given what we went through last summer. Yeah, it's pretty alarming, isn't it? But look, hazard reduction burns have started, hopefully making us safer, but also bringing back those memories of the horrors of last summer and what we went through. It's been labelled the worst fire season ever recorded. It was like a big, angry, hungry monster. Tragically, uh, two uh, highly respected and much-loved firefighters uh, died. The Prime Minister has caved tonight, rushing back from Hawaii amid criticism for taking a holiday while Sydney burns. You're not welcome, you Right now, more than 4,000 people are trapped on Mallacoota Beach. Now, in the wake of that devastation, several inquiries have been set up so we can learn what went wrong and what we can do better. Yeah, and we're starting to get some of those answers already. In the past week, we've received the findings from a New South Wales inquiry and some of the interim observations from a Royal Commission, which was handed down on Monday. So are we any better prepared this year than we were last year? Yeah, it's a very important question. I think one a lot of people will be wondering as they head into summer. Uh, One of the key people leading the response this summer will be Peter McKechnie. He's the acting deputy commissioner of the New South Wales Rural Fire Service and he's been with the RFS for more than 18 years. Peter, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us more about the bushfire smoke we're smelling in parts of the country right now? In many areas right across New South Wales, we're taking advantage of this, this window of opportunity for hazard reduction. Those windows are becoming smaller in most years, but 
at the moment with with conditions just drying out that little bit we've been able to get into many areas around Sydney the Hunter North Coast and down the south coast for that matter, and get some of this important hazard reduction work done. Last year in the height of the bushfires, there was lots of arguments around the need for control burns versus back burning. Can you explain the difference and what they achieve? Yeah, look, the, the, the terms do get interchanged quite a bit. So controlled burns or hazard reduction or, or introduced fire, that's the burning that we do before you know, the onset of fires. It's about removing fuel in the bushland. Um, We try and do it as close as possible to assets, houses, you know, communications infrastructure, and and it's about reducing the hazard before the fire. It's a very planned process. It's in communication with the communities, and as I say, it's done before the fire. Backburning is a strategy and a tactic that we use during during a bushfire event, It's similar in terms of it's about removing fuel, but it's done ahead of the main fire moving through. It's obviously a riskier undertaking for us because it is happening during the the fire itself. They have the same intensive purpose of removing fuel, but one is done before the fire where the backburning itself is done during a fire as part of the strategy. So there was a lot of fury around the country that there hadn't been enough hazard reduction burning leading into last summer that our national parks and our our forests had gotten out of control. Have we done anything differently this year? Are we doing more control burning? I suppose the first point I'll make is it's, and as has been said before, it's not the panacea. We, the Rural Fire Service, Fire Rescue, National Parks, Forestry, are all trying to do more hazard reduction, but we are limited by the, the window to do that. Is the fuel dry enough? Is the weather calm enough? Are we able to get it in safely ahead of any coming weather, windy weather and the like? But it's not the panacea. Burning itself is just one of the methods to remove that fuel. It can be done by mechanical means, clearing, um, people just taking out that understory of scrub and, and grass. And it is a partnership between the community, land management agencies and the fire services. The Bureau of Meteorology is saying that we're going to have a wetter than average spring. So does that mean we won't see fires as early or does that mean that actually there's going to be more fuel to burn with more vegetation growing for the next three months? Yeah, look, we are looking at a wetter than average um, outlook over the next couple of months with a, a La Nina alert actually being in place. And we're already seeing it across western New South Wales. Grass growth is everywhere or or in the majority of the state and ultimately that grass will dry out at some point during the summer season and it will cure off as we term it or or it'll it'll go brown in simple terms and be ready to burn and certainly the forested areas they take a little longer to dry out but there are and despite all that was burned in the last bushfire season there will still be forest areas that that will be ready to burn come the the height of summer this year. Have we changed our approach to responding to fires as soon as they start, like um, dry lightning strikes in really remote areas? Was it the case in the past that we we let them burn too long? And are we changing our approach to get on top of them straight away, even if they're really hard to access? Look, our approach has been changing for some years. The Rural Fire Service in New South Wales... National Parks and Wildlife Service both operate what are called um, remote area teams. 
um, and rapid aerial response teams. These are these are firefighters that are on standby with helicopters. They can fly into remote areas. They can land or be winched in, and they attack fires with with what we call dry firefighting methods, effectively with hand tools to be able to clear around a small fire before it gets hulled. The challenge with that is obviously the safety of the firefighters and where it's happening in steady conditions or benign conditions, that's an easy introduction of firefighters in a safe manner. But where we get uh, you know, deteriorating weather conditions following closely after these lightning storms, it can be more of a challenge to have the opportunity to, to get firefighters in. Both the services have escalated or lifted their, their level of resourcing in that aspect, but it is an ideal way for us to fight fires in the remote area before they impact onto the community. Sounds like a, a terrifying job. I wanted to ask you about, I guess, the reality of living in Australia. It's a dry country. Uh, there's a lot of places that are just going to continue to burn. So what can we do, I guess, going into summer? Is it about avoiding those sort of areas that could see us with very little options to get in and out? Um, keep even the way we distribute information, us in the media, also people, you know, out and about and on their smartphones. What can we do from a human response to deal with bushfires? It definitely starts before the fires. Uh, what we all do is, as members of the community to prepare our properties and prepare ourselves ahead of fires are, are the things that make so much difference. Clearing around your property if you live in a bushfire-prone area, cleaning out your gutters, you know, moving any combustible materials away from the house. But there's also preparing yourself. Know what you'll do if there's a fire. When will you leave? Where will you go? How will you stay in touch? It's no good having any one single source of information. You may not be able to get the radio that day. Fires near me provide significant information, but you may be out of coverage at that point. An emergency alert, your phone may not have coverage to receive. So, You've got to know all the ways you'll stay in touch and be able to monitor what's going on. Watch for the, the, the fire danger ratings. You know, as we broadcast them each day, be aware of the fire danger in the area you're in, the area you're visiting. People often travel at the height of summer, so know the area you're going and what the fire dangers are there. Peter, will some of the restrictions brought in to make us safe from the COVID-19 pandemic put us at more risk of bushfire danger? For example, will the quarantine restrictions on state borders or international borders make it harder to get firefighters from other jurisdictions, other states, other countries to come in and, and fight the bushfires? And do we need exemptions for them? Look, the, certainly COVID, like everyone else in the community, brings us some incredible challenges. But it's a known challenge for us. We're already working through that. We've already worked with federal authorities to be able to bring crews for, for aircraft from overseas and we're going through the exercise at the moment of deploying firefighters to the United States um, through that planning process now and and that's a great learning for us in terms of what it will take to move people across an international border and for that matter bring them back during these COVID times. But across borders we in, in our own country we have firefighters responding regularly across the Victorian and Queensland borders where we have procedures in place to, to limit their exposure. Obviously, the, the normal precautions, uh, but 
Does it bring out a challenges? Absolutely. One other thing COVID has actually shown us is um, some of the problems with our federation, let's say, and, and National Cabinet has been set up to address some of those. How important is it actually going to be to have a more national approach? I know getting information here in Canberra was a little bit difficult during the bushfires last year because the fires were, they crossed state and territory borders. So how important is, I guess, uh, it's been flagged that we keep National Cabinet rolling for, say, the bushfire season? Look, I think from a national perspective, the, the fire and emergency services work very closely already in regard to movement of resources, sharing information in regard to fire conditions and, and fire activity. Is there more that can be done? Look, yes. We, we've seen that come out in the, the independent state inquiry here in New South Wales. Uh, the Royal Commission has certainly been focusing on that. Can we improve communication across the borders um, through you know, applications such as fires near me? Yes, and that, that's work that we have underway. But ultimately, the, the fire and emergency service agencies already share resources and intelligence quite well across those borders. But look, national coordination, uh, a focus nationally on what is occurring... Um, is going to be, you know, obviously subject to more and more review. That was Peter McKechnie from the New South Wales Rural Fire Service. Annika, some good points there um, that we've had more rain this year, um, that at this point last year they were already fighting big fires, so they've had extra time to prepare. And then in some parts of the East Coast, so much bush has burnt last year that it reduces the risk this year. Yeah, it does sound like we might not be in for the same level of fire, although the risk is still high. And look, a good thing that's come out of COVID, I guess, is that national coordination. We've always had an issue in Australia with who manages what between the federal, the state and the local government. And I guess that that new model we've got of national cabinet when the premiers and the prime minister comes together, that looks like it might be rolled over into the fire season, which I think is a really important point. Okay, tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to get an even clearer look at what music festivals will look like next year. We're going to speak to the promoter of Blues Fest, which at this stage is going ahead. Speak to you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.